0: Well, I invite you to pick out a Bible. If you've got one near you, pick one out. If not, there should be one in a chair in front of you, behind you, to the side of you. And turn to the little book of Galatians. It's always better to look at what we're talking about as well as I share from it. And um, what happened on uh, the first service is what I'm going to try not to have happen in the second service. I just started, like, talking uh, sometimes I speak a little quickly. Would you admit to that? Okay, well, I was, I was hyperspeed uh, in the first sir, so I'm going I'm to back off from that a little bit. Uh, but uh, this is a rich passage, and part of it is it's a challenging passage as well, and I also want to put it in its perspective or its context. It is, um, last week, if you were here with us, uh, we saw Paul changing methods with them. And maybe you've known people who, who seem to be one way and then all of a sudden you, you meet them on the street or you see them in a setting and then they're acting completely different. And if you remember, that's what Paul was doing last week. He had been writing to this church that he knew well, these churches, the people as well, and he'd heard some reports about them and, and just quite plainly, it had ticked him off. because Not because so much of how they were looking at him, though they were now... Sensing some things about him that they weren't sure that they, they, uh, they liked because of what other people were saying about him. That never happens to us, right? Uh, the, how people look at us never gets changed by what other people say. Uh, but it was because of what they were dealing with the message of Jesus. They were messing with it. And in no uncertain terms, he, he just exploded in print. And he said those who were messing with the essence of the gospel, he said, anathema to you. May God's judging hand come on you in a fierce way because you have, you have taken that which, is, that which will set people free and you've put them in bondage. You have taken that which have, have given the opportunity for be saved and you've drowned them in their own sin. And then he, then he goes, says, not only have you messed with the essence of the gospel, you've messed with the practice of the gospel. And we, we talked about that, that he, took, he had to confront Peter because he was being hypocritical. And we, we don't need to hear that message here because we're, we're never hypocritical, right? <laughs> and he said, look, you're treating people not like, they, like you'd want them to treat you. You're treating them for superficial reasons, and you need to treat them with the love of Christ. And, of course, then they were also messing with the understanding of the gospel, and we're going to hit that a little bit this morning, uh, because they were adding, you know, oil with water. They were adding the law with the grace, and it was, it was messing up people's understanding of what it means to, to not only know Jesus, but to live for him. But then last week, uh, you know, as we shared with how my, my wife put it in terms of the title, The Matters of the Heart, we turned it into a Hallmark movie. And, and, and what Paul does, he kind of pulls on their, their heartstrings and says, Look, can, You need to listen to me. If, if you won't respond to my logic and my uh, biblical exegesis of what God has been doing th- throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, then just listen to my heart. Remember how, how close we were? And he talks about, it. You, 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 you received me like an angel. You, you received me like Jesus himself. And you, you saw what I was going through is physically I was probably ravished by malaria. And there was I, I had this eye in which things were oozing out of it. and it was, it was hard to look at me. And yet you listened to every word I had to say because they were words of hope. And we had come so close, not because I'm such a special person, but the message was so liberating. Why would you go off to anything else? But as Paul writes this letter, he begins kind of to think a little bit and think, well, I know what they've done already with what I've already done. And they say, well, Paul got it wrong. And that's why he had attacked logically what he had said when he first came to them and the purity of the gospel. And I'm sure after they maybe would hear what he had written here about opening up his heart, they're saying, he's he's just trying to appeal to your emotions, now, you can't just listen to that because he's, he's appealing to your emotions, your feelings. You've got to really get to the truth. And so Paul goes back, and he switches from the matters of the heart. He goes to the matters of the, a little bit higher up, the head. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. And we're going to look at a passage that, that really is not that easy to understand, at least I would say for most as they read the section. They're going, what in the world are you really talking about? And so that's what we're going to try to do today. And it's going to be matters of the head. And God has called us to love the Lord, our God, with our, our heart, soul, and what? Mind. And I'm just going to speak a little bit slower than I did in the first service. Someone said after the first service, I didn't know I, had, 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 I, I came to church and had mental aerobics you know, throughout the whole time I was preaching. Uh, but we're, we're going to try to make us all think as we think about Paul persuading them about that which really sets us free. And so we should be motivated to get it, because the the contrast to being realized how free we are is to be in bondage. So Paul begins to deal with the head, as he really wants to get it down to the heart, to where we actually live it out uh, with our feet and live it out in life. And really, what he does is he poses this as a question. Now we're getting to the outline, the guts of the message, and really poses the question: Has the Bible always taught a gracious faith, or or faith in grace? If you've been in churches for any length of time, sometimes people will realize the obvious. In this, this book is it's not divided volume-wise in half, but there are two parts to it, right? There's an Old Testament, and then there's a what? New Testament. And what some people do is they put them in opposition to each other, you know, and, and they see them attacking each other. And if not, they're saying, well, then if, if they're not attacking each other, then when somehow we've got, to, we've got to put them in to, together and blend the truths of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, and the challenge is, in the, the, you know, the devil's on the details. So what do you mean by any of those statements? The, the, the Old Testament is, is, is that which leads to the New Testament, and they're not in opposition, but you don't want to confuse the purposes of the Old and the New Testament. And some people think, well, maybe people were saved one way in the Old Testament and another way in the New Testament. God hasn't changed in how he draws people. to People are always saved the same way. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, for by what are you saved? For by grace you have been saved. God has always saved people by grace. And you say, well, can you illustrate that? Well, just look at the very beginning, the first two people, Adam and Eve. And they didn't have a lot of laws. that was codified in the Old Testament in terms of Mosaic laws, 613 laws. How many laws did they have? One. They had one law, don't eat of the forbidden fruit. Now, when they ate of the forbidden fruit, there was a judgment attached to it that there would be death. But God was gracious, right? He didn't physically kill them. In fact, not only did he not physically take their, their life, he provided for them. They were naked and, what was the next word? Unashamed. No, they were ashamed. They were naked and ashamed. Okay, Jeff, that's two things you got wrong today, all right? So um, <laughs> don't be in the second row because I can hear every word you say, all right? So, so they, were, they, were, they were, before they ate of the fruit, they were naked and unashamed. After the forbidden fruit, they were naked and ashamed because they, they realized something was what wrong. Okay, you help me out here; that'll that'll get through the message a lot it'll be easier. They knew something was wrong, and so what did God graciously do? He what? He clothed them. He took that which was not sufficient—the leaves—and and he 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 skin he gave them a skin um, sacrificial covering for their sin. And that speaks from the very beginning that the only way to cover sin is really through the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice of something that will point to the once and f- final sacrifice, which is the blood sacrifice of who? Jesus. And that's just to remind you, this is all about Jesus today, all right? And, and so how did he deal with Adam and Eve? He dealt them with them graciously. He took what they were trying to do, hide themselves insufficiently, and covered their sin. But then you go on, the the world didn't get a whole lot better, did it? In fact, sin began to permeate the whole world. You get to Genesis chapter 6, and God's going to wipe out the entire planet, right? But there was an individual named Noah, and it says, uh, if you ever heard the song or actually read the the passage, Noah found what in the eyes of the Lord? Found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Well, I thought grace wasn't until you get to the New Testament. Grace has always been a part of God's plan because that's who God is. He's gracious. And so then there's some images there as far as God allowed Noah, told Noah to get a boat and it brought him over to the seas, right? Of the judgment of God. God provided for him graciously. And the reason he experienced it because he believed God. He had never seen the rains come down. He'd never built a boat, probably never seen a boat. And God graciously, as he trusted him by faith, to bring him in his family. And then you get to Abraham. Abraham was far from God. And Abraham was led by God into a place where he wanted him to be. And as God communicated to him, he, he got, he, Abraham got to the point where it says this about him entering into relationship. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as what? Righteousness. Well, did he, did he earn that? Did he merit that? Was he any gooder than anybody else? No. He, he, he wasn't gooder than anybody else. bad grammar, but hopefully you get the point is because God gave him graciously because he believed. And grace is a word of gift. He gifted him with righteousness because he trusted in the true God. So how has God always throughout the Old Testament done? He has dealt with people who would trust in the true God and what he was providing. And then they would be counted as worthy to be in in God's family because he was gifting them with his righteousness. And whether you take David, who sinned in major ways, but when he turned to God, God cleaned him, Clint, uh, cleaned him up, where his sin, as Isaiah's days, became not only as white as snow, but wider than snow. And how did that come? By the direct hand of God. And how did he, how did he what was his, uh, what was his uh, responsibility is to trust him, believe in what he was offering. That was all to, to look forward to that once and for all sacrifice, blood sacrifice, that would be sufficient to cover all of our sin, because our sin could be forgiven by the work of Jesus. And so now we get to the New Testament. And uh, as we look at the New Testament, now God's full plan is lived out. Some put this way, if you want to, we're going to look at it in a slightly different way. How would you summarize the Old Testament, which is two-thirds of this big book, It's promises made. How would you summarize the last third, which is the New Testament? It's promises kept. But I want to submit to you another way to look at it. Okay, it's in your outline. The Old Covenant or Testament, which is promise or agreement, taught because it was written in the past, but it keeps on teaching. So it's taught, teaches clearly the true need of God's grace. And hopefully this will make sense when we get to the passage. Yeah, what was the purpose of the law? And this is Galatians already said this. The law was a tutor for us. Uh, anybody struggled in any classes when they were going to school? Were some harder than others? There's only three or four hands went up. All of you were straight A students. All of you got a perfect score on the SAT exam. All of you, you know, you know. I mean, there are certain classes that are harder than others. Would you agree? And usually when those happen, okay, and if it's not hard now, if you, if, the longer you go to school, you'll eventually get to some classes that are difficult for you. Trust me. You could be a whiz at math in grade school, junior high, high school, college, but you get to upper division math, it gets hard for everybody. Trust me. And you need someone or something come alongside you to help you out. Maybe it's a better textbook than the textbook you have. Maybe it's a better professor than the one you have. Maybe it's someone who's going to come alongside you that's a little bit further down that path than you are in math. And they're going to help you understand those concepts. And, and what are you saying here? You need to understand that the law was given for a purpose. Because quite frankly, sometimes we're a little dull. Would anybody admit to being a little dull at the time? Okay. You don't quite get it every, every time you, you see something or hear something. And this is what happens when we self-evaluate ourselves. Sometimes we think, well, I'm not. I'm pretty good. I'm a lot better than, than Jeff. I mean, Jeff, we only asked two questions, got them both wrong. I mean, he's bad. <laughs> he's not getting anything right today, right? You, know, you say, well, I, I can't be that bad because I'm doing better than Jeff is. And so, and so what he said, okay, let, 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 let's get us all on the same page here. Let me give you the law and put the standard up here and just even take the top 10. If any of us... Ever obeyed all the top 10 perfectly? And if you think you have like the rich young ruler, then read the Sermon on the Mount. And then you will understand that, that the, the 10 commandments have a lot more breadth to it and depth to it than we normally apply to it. You know, if I haven't physically killed anybody, I don't think I've ever committed murder. But Jesus explains it where we've all committed murder, all right, And our attitude toward people. And so, so as we think about that, the law was given to, sh- to show our desperate need for something, someone to rescue us. You understand that? That's, that's humbling to realize that. And that's true of all of us. All of us desperately need God's grace. And then the New Testament, to put it this way, the New Covenant and the New Testament taught, teaches clearly the true way to God's grace. Because th- there have been many times where people have pointed out my faults in case you don't know, I have a lot of faults, okay? I have a lot of things that I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm still working on, a, well, I'm working on all nine of those through the Spirit, but I'm trying to be kinder and gentler, right? But, you know, in other areas, you know, there, there are things where I fall short, but sometimes people will tell me, what, you know, where I'm messing up, but they don't tell me how to clean up my mess. And, and this, is, this is the New Testament. It shows us not just the need for God's grace, but the way to God's grace. That, that sounds like something very familiar in the Bible, right? John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the, I'm the way, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so apart from Jesus coming here, we would have these foreshadowings. We would, we would do our best to be honest and, and, and know the true God and what he had provided. But it wasn't until Jesus came when everything came into the light. And all that people had looked forward to was now come to pass and all of us who look backward and realize that's what's happened and it's understanding that Jesus is the way to God's grace. So as we think about understanding the Bible to a certain degree, we need to get the big picture. Promises made, promises kept, the need for God's grace, the way to God's grace. Now you got the whole Bible, all right? But sometimes then people will say, well, I'm still not sure I agree with you, all right? And so as Paul was encountering that, he said, okay, let's, we've talked about matters of the heart just recently. Let's go to the head now. Let, let's take it, take this, what you're arguing with me about and see if we can understand it better. So Galatians chapter four, beginning with verse 21. And, and I'm going to try to do two things at once. Usually that's not a good, good uh, plan for success. All right. But I'm going to try to not only Explain the passage as best I can, but also just give you a tool. Whenever you try to understand the Bible, um, there's, there's three major steps you need to wrestle with. One is, uh, you need to ask yourself, uh, what does it say? What, before you try to figure out anything else, just what does it say? Uh, you ever have that in conversation with people? You, you've said something to them, and then they take it. They take a, a whole different, different direction, and, and, then they, and then you ask them, well, is that what I said? Well, I know that's what you said, but I didn't think that's what you meant. Anybody had a conversation like that? All right, we got one honest hand in the back. I, I, that's happened to me many times where I, I've said something I thought very plainly, and then all of a sudden, it's, they're, they're going in a totally different direction, and I'm thinking, well, I know you said that, but I know, I know you didn't mean that. Well, we do that with the Bible. Okay, first of all, what did it say? Just plainly, what does it say? Then secondly, what does it mean? And then thirdly, how does it apply? That's really how you study the Bible. What does it say? What does it mean? And how does it apply? So we're going to try to see this in what Paul writes to the, the Galatians, all right? Okay, what does it say? And really the idea here, what are the, what are the clear statements? Don't, don't read into it. Just figure out what did it, what did it declare. And, and by the way, this illustration, this could be a, a, a month of sermons right here. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to just go through it because there's a backstory to this in the Old Testament, in Genesis 16, 17, and 21. But we're just going to take it as Paul says it briefly to them. What does it say? Verse 21 says, Tell me, you who want to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? I ask them a question. Now he, he's meddling with them. He's not speaking kindly. He's speaking strongly. You say you want to be under the law. Have you ever read the law? Have you ever... <laughs> Well, I won't go down that, that rabbit trail. But there's all kinds of people who will argue about certain things, and you'll, you'll ask them, well, have you ever read it? Have you ever seen the movie? Or have you, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, I, I don't like Jesus. Well, have you ever read his story in the Gospels? Well, no, but I just don't like Jesus. Well, why don't you read about him the Gospels? Okay, so I- I- anyway, he says, you who want to be under law, do you, do you not listen to the law? And he might have been referring to when, they, when Moses came down and um, gave them the law. In fact, even before they came down, if you, you read in Exodus... Uh, you'll find out that, that when he went up to Mount Sinai to get the law, uh, they said, no, you go up there. We don't want to hear it directly from God. You, you, you get it, and then you kind of give us the sanitized division or whatever it might be. You, then you tell us later because they realized God was holy. It was a, scareful, it was, it was a fearful thing to hear the law because there was not only blessings but judgment. And, and this is what they're missing. Do you, do you really want to go to the law? you want to be under that? Have you read it carefully? There was blessings and cursings. But then he goes on and says, okay, let let me just illustrate this. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman and one by the free woman. But the son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh and the son by the free woman through the promise. And here's where all of a sudden we got to start using our head a little bit. What in the world are you talking about here? Well, first of all, just look what it says. And I have a kind of a graph there that I filled in most of the blanks here. He said, you know, you had you had two sons and have and we know in the back story in Genesis 16 17 and 21, he had two sons, one by one woman and one by another. And not only in the text here, but in the text there, it even names the women. And and so just just stating what it says, uh, as he's writing to people who want to add the law back into knowing Jesus and to live for Jesus. He says, "Okay, one woman's name was Hagar and one was Sarah." One had a child, and we find out later in the story that his name was Ishmael, and she had, Sarah had a child named Isaac. One was, and this is out of the text in Galatians, one was a bondwoman, which means she was a slave, and the other was a free woman. And here's the, the phrase here that's very significant. One was born by the flesh, which simply means by the natural ways, and one was born by the promise. Now at that point, you're going, okay, that's what it says, it doesn't tell us what that means, but that's what it says, right? You, you had this, this saying that was the prescriptor, that was the introduction to, the, to, the, to being under the law hand of God that would later come through Moses, but it began through his work through Abraham. Well, let's look at how this all happened. You know, It happened that Abraham had two women in his life. one was Sarah, one was Hagar, one was free, one was a slave. One was born just naturally by the flesh, and one was born by the promise. Okay? Well, now what do I do? Well, let's look at what does it mean. And then we look at the next verses, okay? He says in verse 24, this is allegorically speaking. So he says, what I wanted you to do, and this is, the Bible often tells you how to interpret it. And here he saying, okay, you shouldn't do this very often unless it, in fact, you should only do it when the Bible says to do this. I want you to look at this in a symbolic way. I want you to look at this with, thinking in terms of metaphors or probably a, a, a really good way to say it. I want you to see the analogy here or the illustration here and this is an, this is an analogy and, and this is what I want you to think about for these women are two covenants one proceeding from Mount Sinai and he doesn't say here and, and, and the other from some other place bearing children who are to be slaves and you go what? what are you talking about here? He said, I I want you to understand that these aren't just illustrative children, and it is what happened, but one is going to be symbolic of one covenant, and the other with the other covenant. Are you with me so far? Now, how many covenants do we have in our Bible? Two, an old covenant and a new covenant. And and then he goes on and says this, now this this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem. Where did the law come from? Mount Sinai. And then he says, I want you to understand that this is going to be illustrative of that which is earthly, the present Jerusalem. There was a Jerusalem then, there's a Jerusalem now. And that's describing that which is here on this planet, earthy, uh, everyday life. And then he goes on, for she is slavery with her children. So we'll stop right there. So what you want to do, and looking at this, you, put, you could put this text in two columns, one with the, the, the woman in bondage and one with the woman who was free, one who was named Hagar and one that was named Sarah. And under that, you would say this, okay, it was, it was a two covenant illustration. That's right. The text begins to explain that, right? Are your heads hurting yet? You know, this is, this is thinking Sunday, all right? So you have an old covenant and a new covenant. You had Mount Sinai. It's not put in here, but if you think in the New Covenant, what is the mount that changes everything? Mount, we have, huh? mount Calvary. You get, a, you get a star, not like Jeff does. Okay, so Mount Calvary. Okay, thanks, Karen. Okay, so you have Mount Sinai, which is the law, and you have Mount Calvary, which is an illustrative of God's fullness of grace. Okay, it was gracious It was gracious that God gave us the law because the law pointed out our need for grace. But then you have the fullness of grace. In fact, the Bible describes Jesus as the fullness of grace. And that's illustrated in Mount Sinai. Then you have what it said in in a couple ways. She was a bond woman. She was a slave woman that became a wife. And her seed would produce slaves. That was actually true culturally in the code of I can never say that right. Hammurabi, Hammurabi. That—that's what was true. If you had a partner that was a slave, then that the 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 seed from that would would be a slave, not free. And he said, "So what we have here is we have the old covenant, which points out our need. We have Mount Sinai, which is the giving of the law. We have that which was produced from that which was slavery. We have that which is earthly, Jerusalem, and what we have in reality. And this is in." impacted in the whole thing we have faith but it's a false faith it's a faith in the law that does not set us free but puts us under bondage and then what we have is then we have an illustration of the uh, of the new covenant and he doesn't go in great detail here but here is the illustration verse 26 but the jerusalem above is free she is our mother And here's where we are in in the outline here. We have the new covenant. We have a different mount, Mount Calvary. And we have that which is produced, not slavery, but freedom, free people. He then just makes a a general statement. Um, In the contrast, you could say, if one is a earthly Jerusalem, the other is going to be a heavenly Jerusalem. And and, and that's what we look at. What we're looking at is not uh, this world. This world is not our home, Right? We're just passing through. We're anticipating and looking at those things above where we're going to spend eternity with God. And so you have, in contrast, an earthly Jerusalem and a heavenly Jerusalem. And you don't have a false faith here. You have a true faith. And what you could really say here is you have a messianic faith. One was based on putting their trust in rules and regulations. And one who is coming here to fulfill all those rules and regulations. And isn't that exactly what Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mouth? I didn't come to abolish the law. The law has purpose. It points out people's need for God's grace. That will always be in place, that there is a need for people to get in God's grace. But now what I have done, I have fulfilled all that law. He does make some comments here just to explain some things. For it's written, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear... And, I, and the backstory of this is so fascinating is you look at the story of, of Sarah and Abraham. And it illustrates how we mess up sometimes when we, we feel that we got we to gotta help God out. I don't know if you ever try to do that, help God out. God, God had given them a promise. I'm going to give you a child and it's going a, a, to be the child that blesses everybody. Well, when he got that promise, Abraham was—he was a little older. He was seventy-five, and Sarah was sixty-five. And they're thinking, "Well, this is on the, the far end of this scale here, but we could probably still have a child." And so God has promised it, and God's good to promise, and so it's going to happen pretty soon. Well, ten years later, it hadn't happened yet. Now, if you were advanced in age and and you got a promise—even a verbal promise from God—that it was going to happen, uh, and it didn't happen for ten years, what would you be thinking? You know, and there's all kinds of ways to think. You said, well, maybe I didn't hear God right. Or, or, or maybe, maybe God wants me to do a little bit more to, to, to make it sure it gets done. And so Sarah, at age now, uh, she's 10 years old. She's 75, and Abraham's 85. And he says, uh, why don't you go into a younger woman? I, you know, I've got, a, I've got a bond woman. I've got a slave here, a- Hagar. Go into her. You know, marry her off and, and, and have a child. And so that happens. Now, after it happens, how do you think Sarah felt? <laughs> she wasn't too happy, all right? Because now she was barren, and now Abraham had a child by another woman, and said, you've got to th- you thrust them all out of here. And, 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 and that just kind of illustrates this. Sometimes that what we really want. Once we get it, we realize that's not what we really needed, right? And, and some, of the, some of the most gracious prayers God has responded to are the prayers you prayed that he didn't answer with a yes, Aren't you glad you didn't get everything you prayed for? If your prayer life is anything like mine, I've prayed for all kinds of things. I go, oh, my God, thank you so much you didn't give me that prayer. And, and sometimes we think we need to help God out. And, and so n- now, they're, now they're in a situation. Now they got Ishmael, but that, and God says, look, that's not the child I promised. And that's the whole idea. He was born of the flesh, natural ways. But God said, he's going to be born of the promise. So God says, I want you to know this is not about you. It's really about me. And so he makes them wait another 15 years, longer than the first wait. Now Abraham's 100 and Sarah's 90. He says, now I'll show you this is, this is, this is done by my hand, not your hand. And Hebrews 11 says that they were, they were both dead in terms of having the ability to have a child. And God brought that child into their life. And so what we need to realize is that the, the whole point of coming to Jesus and the whole point of living for Jesus is all a miraculous thing. It's a supernatural experience that, that just sounds crazy to people unless they've experienced it. It's God reaching down into our life and changes on the inside. It's his gracious gift to us because we can't do it on our own. And he illustrates with them, it's just like Hagar and Sarah and Abraham and the two uh, boys that came out of the womb and then he does something to them which is amazing we'll look at it now the application he goes on and says this and so what's the point point? and you brethren like Isaac are children of promise and now he's talking about the true followers of Jesus you really are the right seed But as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so is now also, but what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be an heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of a bondwoman, but of the free woman. And you still might be thinking, what in the world are you talking about here? He says, "I I want you to get the point here. You're dealing with people, and actually, they're the people who should have known better. They are Jewish people. Some have called them Judaizers, who have made a profession of faith and say, no, you need to have Jesus plus the law. And I want you to understand that these who are doing that to you, you need to do to them what Abraham had to do to Ishmael and Hagar. You, You can't mix that that law and grace are the way to get to know God and to live for Him. You need to cast them away from you. And really what he was telling to Jewish teachers of the law that were influencing the Christian church there, and many of them, and let's be honest, at the beginning of the church, all the Christians were Jewish, and then it spread out in the Gentile world. And he was saying to, to these, he said, you know, if you're really getting what I'm saying here, you really are more like Hagar and Ishmael, Jewish people, than Isaac, who comes from Abraham. And that lineage, you, you are, he was basically telling me, if you can kind of get this picture in mind, he was calling Jewish people, you're really Palestinian. You, you're really, you, you really have Arab love in you. You have, you have people that are falling after other gods. And by the way, we, we, should, we should look at everybody, whether the Palestinians or Arabs, or whatever it might be, as just like Abraham treated Ishmael. Ish, it broke Abraham's heart when Ishmael had to be casted, cast out. He loved them, and God blessed Ishmael. But when he blessed them, he still realized, look it, not ethnically so much, but the heart of what they believed, and Ishmael was just an illustration of this, is you can't mix law and grace in terms of knowing God and living for Him. The law is good. It has a purpose, but it's to the express purpose to show us our need for God's grace. And then grace is the way of Jesus to live out our grace. There's, there's a whole other dimension of this message I'm not going to speak to, but I, I want to refer to. And we're going to deal with a little bit in your Bible study this week. Okay, I, I'm, I'm, I realize it's, it's God's unmerited favor that brings me Jesus and it's, it's bringing me into a life in which I now live not by my own strengths and willpower, I live by the Spirit of God who lives out through me and I don't have to look at rules and regulations as the governing plan for my life, what, 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 then what do I do with the commandments that are in the Bible? Well, one, you need to realize what commandments are for you and which commandments are not for you. And the simplest way to look at that is what commandments are in the New Testament for you? But the, the main heart of it is this, and we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit later on probably as we finish out Galatians. But, but it's all realizing, well, why do I do, if I really know Jesus, why do I do what I do? Do, do I do out of, because I just, I just got to obey, you know, these list of things? What God is saying here, you will do so much more in life out of desire of love than you'll ever do out of desire of obligation. That laws will point people maybe to right behavior, but it will not enable them to do that which is right. A quick illustration of that. Um, there's many ways we could describe it, but I'll do this quickly. It is... Uh, most of you out there are just the ideal drivers. You, you never break the speed limit. You never push the envelope a little bit. When you see a yellow light, you see that as, I got to get through it. You know, you say, I, I need to stop right now. And you're just, you are the safest of safest drivers. Some of us, probably Jeff here, is that, is that you, you, know, you, you know, you look at a, a, a yellow light as something you got to get through and you got to get through quickly, All right. And you might push the envelope a little bit. Now, you know the law. You know the law says, look, drive safe, drive the speed limit, don't punch it you know, in certain times, make sure you're obeying you're, you're all the letters of the law. But you don't always do it. It's not because you don't know the law, and it's not because you've never got a ticket in your life, or, or never got the consequences of it, or never been pulled over. You just think this time you might be able, you might, might be able to get away with it, Right? But you know what happens, you know you, uh, and, and you know it's a little bit more dangerous for you and maybe the other drivers when you, you don't go by the law, letters, the the law of the land. But you you just you know you just kind of motivated to do whatever that needs to be done, and the law is it's kind of a pointer, but it's not going to make you do something. But then all of a sudden you have grandchildren, and, and they're now in the car, and you're thinking, you know, maybe I ought to change the way I what, the way I drive. Why? Because, because you love those grandchildren a little bit. You, you don't mind if you get hurt. I mean, you get hurt. Of course, you're not thinking about the other people who could get hurt as well, but, but now you have grandchildren in the car and it radically changes how you drive because, because you love them and you want to protect them and you want to do what's best. And so you realize that, that out of love, you'll do so much more than you would ever do out of simple obedience to a law. And that's what he's saying here. It's not that I don't have things for you to do. The Bible says, that a great verse in John 14, 21, he who has my commandments is he who loves me. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. He who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. And he's simply saying this, obey the commandments of God out of love, not simple rote Obedience. And you'll do much, much more to live out the life God has for you because it's out of love, not obligation. There is obligations, but do it out of love. And you'll do much, much more than you'll ever do on your own. So what's the point this morning? What's the so what? The so what is this? Do you really understand that you've been set free? It's living the Christian life from the inside out. It's what we memorized some of you this last month. But this I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not live out the desire of the flesh. He didn't give a whole list of rules there. He, he pointed out what is the flesh and what is the Spirit. But he says, walk with Jesus and you'll live out the life I've called you to live. Let's pray together. Father, well, I do pray as we, as we understand the message. Help us to use our head. And it's illustrated in this Old Testament story that we don't want to get into bondage. We want to understand what the law was for. It was to point us to our desperate need of Jesus. Help us to live that way. And we ask this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand as we sing this morning.